we come to a point where David's at a high point. He's, he's just defeated Goliath. And for a young boy, maybe somewhere between the age of 15 and 20, that must have been um, some amazing experience. He'd stepped out in faith. He'd taken on a giant which had immobilized the army. And you would think that going forward, life would just get better and better. Or is that just me? Just me. Okay, well, I'll talk to myself. Let me ask you a question then. And it picks up on where Kay had um, just spoken. Do you ever have doubts? Do you, do you know, we're, we're in a room, we're singing some nice songs and everything, but in that dark hour, when life isn't going how we expect life to go, and be honest with yourself, do you ever doubt? Yeah. Well, that's two of us in the room, John. Three. Yeah. You know what? And that's what today's um, sermon is all about, really. Are we singing to the tiles? Or are we singing to God? And those doubts are natural. They come in, I think, at those really difficult times when life actually does not function how we expect life to be. When we make all the prayers and all the requests to God... And we make our stand on scripture, and yet still, life kicks you in the teeth. And it does. And it will. And we're not alone. I know, and if I was writing the Bible, I'd write about a God who actually was more like a vending machine. Every time I needed him, he could dispense exactly what I wanted. But that's not the God of our Bible, by the way. Under no... Uh, pretext does the Bible ever present God that way and we can learn a great deal from looking at some of the characters in the Bible and and we've been following David and this David chosen by God called to be a king anointed as a child seeing God's hand on his life suddenly at the high point of what he would expect to go forward the wheels come off. Hear what I'm saying? The wheels come off. So what will David do? do you know, it, it's, if, it's difficult to get a timeline on, on David. It's difficult to calculate his age at various events. We know from Scripture that David will become king at 30. Which would put him, when he fought Goliath, somewhere between 15 and 20. We know to be... In the army, you have to be 20. And he's not in the army, he's a shepherd. So you can say he's not 20. We also know he's got older brothers, and they're not in the army. There are only three of them that were there last week. And so his, his age is, is getting lower all the time. He has this immense victory. He knows that Samuel has spoken to him. And yet, something goes wrong. We're not alone. Let's have a look at what we can learn from the passage. Verse 57. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, another Abanar took him and brought him before Saul 
with David still holding the Philistine's head. Can we put the lights off? Just one of you. Yeah, just turn the lights off so they can see the thing. Thank you. I mean, that's a pretty gruesome sight, isn't it? That, that would make a horror film for most people in the room. You're wandering around with some guy's big head. Look what I've done. Aren't I clever? It's a sort of a, an icebreaker. Well, it would, wouldn't it? You know? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't know the, the, the weights, but heads can be quite heavy, particularly if they're a big head. Where's Ken? <laughs> Joke. Okay. Look, there he is. He's, he's coming before Saul. We saw last week that actually God had sent an evil spirit to Saul and um, Saul was becoming a bit, a bit of a raving madman. Um, they'd promoted or advanced David's uh, standing to Saul and said, look, this guy can play the harp and when he plays this music... Perhaps this evil spirit will leave you. That had happened. So Saul has met David before. But he's met lots of people. And being in his, his mad state, if you like, I think he's forgetting who actually David was. But here he is, the conqueror of the giant. David's high point, or not. So we asked him the question, whose son are you, young man? And Saul, Saul asked him, and David said, I'm the son of the, your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. There's his background. He's not asking who David is. He's asking who his, his uh, family are. And so that's his established. And he will never be a shepherd again of sheep. Move it on please, Graham. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved, his, loved him as himself. We met Jonathan a few chapters earlier. Jonathan should have been the next king. After Saul either died or, or got to an age where he stepped down, Jonathan is Saul's oldest son. And we saw that Jonathan had all the hallmarks of being a great king. He was brave. He led from the front. He'd attacked this Philistine outpost and God had anointed him and he'd caused a, a mighty victory. He recognises something in David. Jonathan, by this time, must be of the order of 36, 37. I've, I've once heard a, um, a talk show, and I'm not being rude by what I'm going to say, but I once heard a talk show that some people were promoting that the Bible promotes homosexuality from this very passage. Let me just clarify that, that actually the word loved is never used um, as in a, a sexual way in the Bible. In the Hebrew, that word... It's, it's, there's no way he's promoting that there's a, any physical relationship between the two people. Jonathan is simply seeing something in this young boy that he remembers was in him. And there's an affinity there, but it goes beyond this. And the, the writer wants us to understand this. He wants us to compare Jonathan with Saul. Jonathan, who should have been the next king, is going to step aside and let God's choice come through. That's a great example for everyone in the room. That actually when God calls somebody, it's not about us, it's about him. This is the one beyond the tiles, just for clarification. It's about him and what he is doing, and Jonathan sees that. You should be able to see God's calling on people's lives. You should be able to see God's calling on your life. What has God called 
you to be. I'm quite comfortable being what I want to be, or what he wants me to be. But it's a great place to find out what, what he wants us to do, and then be content in that, and do it to the best of your ability. Whatever he's asked you to do, does it matter whether you're a king, or whether you're a second king, or whether you're actually just a servant? It really does not matter. Not if our faith is real. It matters if it's not real, by the way. Then it's just pride and ambition and very worldly. But if we're serving the living God, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is. From that day, Saul kept David with him. That's the end of his shepherding of sheep. And did not let him return home to his family. The change has begun. I'll give you the end of the sermon now. And watch it unfold. This is the end of all the sermons in 1 Samuel. God begins a process of removing everything in David's life except God. Think about it. I can feel the anointing of God. I can feel him on me now. God will remove things out of your life. Allow things to be moved out of your life. Until we are wholly dependent vertically. And it's a great character study this. We can learn the lessons and not have anything removed, provided we have a vertical relationship. It's got to be vertical before it will go horizontal. Some of you look at me a bit blank. Okay. Watch what happens for David. Moving on. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. A covenant. They've gone outside... They've cut an animal between the, between the, in two. They walk between this animal, which sounds nearly as bad as carrying a head around. And basically what they're agreeing is, they're agreeing to something, and if one of them breaks this covenant, the other one has a right to chop the other one up into pieces. That'll keep you focused, won't it? That'll keep your mind on the job. Well, it will. That's the covenant that they would have done. And do you know what? Jonathan stands by that agreement. He stands by looking after him, protecting him. Now look what he does. Verse 4. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. What do you think's happened there in that, in that little passage? Fantastic, Catherine. Who needs Mattersea? He's done that and it's very public, you know. It's very public, he's saying, look, I recognise God's anointing on your life. You've just gone out, done that giant, I've heard the words out your mouth, you've, you're the living God's man. And I want to be part of that. And he, and he, it's so ugly when we elevate ourselves. Jonathan is a great example. He says, look, you're God's man. Take this, take this, take this, this and this, and I'm going to support you. What a great example for everyone. It really is. It's, it's beautiful. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This is amazing. He shouldn't even probably be in the army at that age. But you know what? When God is working, you can see it. You can see it in people's lives. We don't need to be playing Sherlock Holmes it should be evident when God is doing something. I'm a great believer in that. Actually, if I can't see God in it, why be in it? 
And that's what's happening with David as he, as he goes forward. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Right, everyone's rocking on the same page, isn't it? It's going great so far. Everyone enjoying it? Other than the head bit and the cutting of an animal between? That, yeah, okay. Let's go on, move on. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out. See, it's the women's fault. Look, it's going to go sour now. The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet the King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with tambourines and lyres. Whatever a lyre is, I don't know, but anyway. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands. That's quite a, a, an endorsement, surely, if you've killed thousands of people. And then someone tagged on the second line, and David is tens of thousands. It's a figurative speech, isn't it? It's a metaphor. Surely that's what it is. But how does Saul receive that? Saul was very angry. Oh dear. Insecure leadership. And this refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But, we, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Well, actually, Saul, you were told a few weeks ago by Samuel that God is taking the kingdom away from you. This isn't a surprise. This isn't a surprise. I want to suggest something. This is an opportunity. There are always ways to view the same thing. Saul is going to get this paranoid reaction. But you know that when, when God is moving, if he's not moving in our lives, how about praising that he's moving in someone else's? Did that go over your head? Absolutely. That's what we are, surely. Don't be a Saul. The fact that God's active should encourage us all. Saul could have actually got on his knees. He could have said, this is the guy. This is the man who's going to be the next king of Israel. I know what I can do. I can get back on God's plan. I've messed up. I accept that. But I can get on God's plan. I can teach David everything I know about being a king, the good and the bad. I can support God's choice. And I can help it come into being. But Saul doesn't do that. Saul comes up with an alternative view. Let's have a look. From that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. A close eye means he's just jealous eye. He knows what's happening. He suspects David is going to be the next king. And he's insecure, frightened. Can I just put this on record for the world to hear, the seven billion people? God never makes a mistake. But sometimes our behaviour is as though actually he does. He never, ever... Look, it's not compatible, is it? God doesn't mess up. God loves us. We all do we can nod at me. Look, wake up. N- nod at me. Do you know God loves us? Come on, thank you. What he love yeah. Look, he loves us. He has the best for us. There's a plan running through society, a plan running through our lives. It's this free will that always gets in the way. Oh. Let's have a look. What what happens? 
The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcibly upon Saul. He was prophesying. It isn't prophesying as in, as in foretelling. It means on this, this word is used for babbling. He's, he's ranting in his house. And while David was playing the lyre, that's probably the harp, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand. Look, I'm not musically gifted. If I wander around church with a spear in my hand, don't play the guitar. Right? <laughs> well, it seemed to fit, you know. <laughs> I should have had a spear. Yeah, okay. It's bad news. Right? He's there to calm him down. That's what he's there for. He's been invited into, into the, uh, Saul's presence. In the past, when he's played this instrument, the evil spirit has left him. But today it's different. Let's have a look at what Saul does. And he hailed it. And he hailed it. Threw it at him, John. Saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. That can't be good, by the way. But David eluded him twice. He had two goes. Two goes. Okay. God's in control. Right? That could have been a very short one Samuel passage if it had hit him. God's in control. But how do you think David feels? What's he done? What what has David done wrong? Nothing. He's 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 there where God wants him. He knows what he's calling on his life is. And yet some guy, some raving madman is throwing spears at him. That, you know, that can mess your head with theology. That can say, well, if God's in this, why is this happening? Well, it's happening because that's what's happening. Don't we do, do, do we do that in life? Do we go from high to low very quickly? We do, don't we? We, we One minute we're walking on... We're skipping round like a lunatic at Whitwell Wood or whatever. And the next minute you're thinking, do you really hear when I'm saying anything? Are you there? You know, I mean, if you're alive, God, why is this happening? Why is he throwing spears at me? Let me tell you, it gets worse. It actually gets worse. And David is exactly where God wants him. Being a believer isn't about having, having everything that we want. We don't get to write the story. He's doing something in David's life and he's allowing stuff to happen which eventually will work for God's glory. He's doing that in our lives. That is faith. Without faith it is impossible to please God. And and you have to have these lines in the sand. You have to have your giant killing moment where you know God was there. And when you've got those moments they are precious you can't do this walk without them, I'll tell you that much. Because some loony will throw a spear at you and you'll wonder, what, what's it all about? What's it all about? This isn't here just for a history lesson. This is here to teach us, to apply it. It gets harder in a minute. right? But I don't write this, I just tell you what it says. And I'm not even going to say what the next bit says. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but he departed from Saul. When God is with us, it looks like something. You know when you go to work tomorrow morning or wherever you go, if God is with us, 
something is different. Surely it's got to mean something. It's not only a Sunday God, is he? You wouldn't only have a Sunday God. No, well, some of you maybe. Okay. Let's have a look. Okay, Saul's going to put a plan in place. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. David led the troops in their campaigns. And in everything he did, he had great success. This is God being with you, having success. As long as success from his perspective. Because the Lord was with him. Fairly straightforward. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. He really is this insecure king that's around. Afraid of a young man. But there was always that opportunity to come back to God and say, look, I messed up. Let's do it your way. You know he gives us those opportunities, don't you? You know today, today's a blank piece of paper. You get to write today on it. Do you do it God's way? Do you do it our way? You get to write your response today. I love that, that every day I can start afresh. But all Israel and Judah loved David, and there's our word again, because he led them in their campaigns. David is a leader from the front, fearless warrior, the man chosen by God. Move it on, please. Saul said to David, here is my elder daughter Merab. This is the one you've got to kill a giant to handle, by the way, that we looked at last week. Merab, I will give her to you in marriage. That's the promise that he'd said to the, to the troops. If you, if you kill Goliath, you can have my eldest daughter in marriage. Your family can be exempt from taxes. You'll be blessed by the kingdom. So he's offering her there. He should have done it already, actually. But his plan is this. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that. You can see his plan. If I keep sending him out into battle, eventually one of the Philistines will kill him. And then I won't look guilty. Great plan, isn't it? Great plan? No plan? Absolutely, isn't it, Matt? Thanks for stealing that. I really appreciate that. Okay. I have enough with that one over there. <laughs> but at least you know your Bibles. All, all of you understood that. Isn't it funny that... <laughs> isn't it funny that actually David does that? Yeah. Learnt from the best. Okay, move him on. But David said to Saul, Look, who am I? And what is my family or my clan in Israel? That I should be king, become the king's son-in-law. Do you know, I've got two daughters. And um, I remember the second one getting uh, married. The first one sort of, um, she met this young lad. And we moved away from, from home. And she stayed and lived with his grandparents. And uh, both, both son-in-laws are great. They're, they're, they're really great. Both daughters are great. They're happily married. And... I remember the first time when, when Ben, my, old, my first son-in-law, came to ask for my daughter's hand in marriage. Do you know what I said? Have you got a gold card? Because mine's getting ripped up when she leaves. Because right? she knew how to spend daddy's money. But that was great. But then, a few years later, my younger daughter got married. And they were having some fun with the, um, 
the sacrificial lamb who was coming to ask for his, uh, the daughter's hand in marriage. And now at that time we had a farm. And so um, Ben said to, to Paul, he said, he'll ask about your theology. And if you get it wrong, he'll shoot you. <laughs> you know, and so they were giving him a crash course. And this poor trembling person came to the farm that day. And I knew why he was there, because they told me why he was there. And I was very pleased that, you know, that they were in love and were going to get married. But I, I did join in the fun and, and asked a few pertinent questions. And you could see this young man like, hooked on a pole, you know, while he... It's before I was a pastor. It doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, his theology wasn't bad, but it, it was good. Saul's going to come up with a, a different plan. I wish I'd thought of what Saul does. Does anyone know what he does? Mm, we'll find out. Hmm, okay, move on. So when the time came for Merab, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she was given in marriage to Ariel, Adriel of, of there anyway. We don't know why. The oldest daughter should have gone to him, and actually it hasn't happened. But Saul is crafty. Watch what Saul does. Move on. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David, and when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. This is the only time in the Bible, apparently, other than Song of Songs, where a woman is said to be in love with a man. Isn't that strange? Isn't it strange? And you find out, in not too long, that actually the love turns to being despised. Isn't that strange? That love can change from, from being an outward... I mean, I cannot ever imagine despising Kay. If I do, throw a spear at me. You have my consent. <laughs> uh, yeah, and just for the record, Kay pointed out as well. Yeah, But actually, Michael will despise David eventually. But for now, she's in love with him. And so, so Saul, being the crafty person that he is, comes up with a plan. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him. That's hardly a recommendation, is it? I got rid of my oldest daughter because of the gold card and the other one left because she didn't want to work on the farm. Not to be a snare to either of them. Does anyone know how she's a snare? No. She's an idol worshipper. She has false gods. And Paul knows this. And uh, Sorry, Paul. Saul knows this. and <laughs> Saul knows this. And actually he's thinking this. Either her gods will cause David to lose the living God, and he would withdraw. You can't have two gods. Or he'll be that busy falling in love with her that he'll lose sight of what the main point is, and everything will work out anyway. Great plan. Plan A and plan B. So Saul said to David, Now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Moving on. And then Saul ordered his attendant, speak to David privately and say, Look, the king likes you and his attendants all love you. Now become my son-in-law. Gain him close to him. They repeated these words to David, but David said, Do you think it is a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. In that culture, 
you had to pay a dowry. I did suggest this to both Ben and Paul, but neither of them took the opportunity. And the dowry was there that if they divorced the wife, the wife would return back to the parents and the parents could use the dowry to fund the upkeep of the, of the adult woman. Without the dowry in place, the option was prostitution for a lot of, a lot of ladies. And so that's what the system was. It's a great system. When Saul's servants told him what David had said, look, he said, look, I can't, I can't afford to, to um, give you what you need to release your daughter. How is it going to be possible? Watch what Saul comes up with. And it, I don't, I just say what it says. Go on. Saul replied, say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. I could have had fun with that with Paul. But anyway, um, that's what the bride price. Do you know why what Saul is saying? Look, he can't go out. David, go and kill a hundred guys. Right? Go and do that. And David might think, I know what I'll do, I'll go and kill a hundred Israelites. Well, of course, he can't do that because the Israelites are under the covenant. So actually, the way to know whether you've killed one of my enemies, the Philistines weren't part of the covenant, they hadn't gone through the initiation of circumcision, and so this was it. And maybe, just maybe, you're that focused on the woman that actually you'll get killed while you go out and do this. Aren't you glad you don't live in Old Testament times? Okay. Saul's plan was for David to fall by the hands of the Philistines. When the attendants told David these things, he was pleased. David need grow. <laughs> he did, don't he? Look. He was pleased to become the king's son-in-law, so before the allotted time elapsed, what happened? David took his men with him and went out and killed 200. Buy one, get one free. It's the first time in the Bible. 200 and brought back the foreskins. They counted. Can you imagine that? One, two, three. Counted out the full number to the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. And then Saul gave him his daughter Michael in marriage. Wow. Wow. What on earth is going on? Move on. When Saul realised that the Lord was with David, that's our key phrase again, and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy for the rest of his days. The king is an enemy. Your life in constant danger. Probably for between 10 and 15 years on the run for your life. And you are exactly where God wants you to be. How on earth do we get our head around that? But as I said, I gave you the end. God allows things. God orchestrates things because he's taken away all the pillars around David. Everything that David will come to rely on will be removed and then put back into place by God. But it has to be built vertically first. Now, seeing as David was called to be king, and we are called to be something, the pattern is set. I suppose what I'm trying to say is this. 
I've got two New Testament passages coming up. But when life gets tough for you and I, maybe we're exactly where God wants us to be. Maybe actually what God is doing is actually saying, I've got a greater plan. I've got a plan you can't possibly see. But actually my, my hand is still with you. I still want you to be what I've told you to be. What I've revealed you to be. And this is the way I build my children. That's hard. It can be dreadful for some of us. But it's how he does it. And that's where faith is. Faith demands from us that we don't view this life as it. If it is, look, i say it again, it stinks. If all we've got are just a few years and we pass out this world and there's nothing beyond it, then things like that are dreadful. Things that we have to go through are dreadful. But if we're just passing through, if we're singing beyond the tiles, then actually, A, you can expect trouble. But we don't have to overreact. B, we can trust him. We can really trust him. To have our best interests at heart, whatever that looks like. That takes faith. See that actually is at work doing something that actually we can't see. David will become the king. The shining example from all the other kings in the Old Testament is this one. There is more written about David than Abraham, Moses, whatever. David is our example. What a challenge. Not to, not to lose heart, if you like. Is that possible? I'll wrap it up. I, I was told last week I went on a bit, so um, this week's a short one. <laughs> you could... <laughs> it's on the internet. Let's look at the two New Testament scriptures, just so that Jesus points us in the right direction. First one from John's Gospel. Jesus to his disciples, and that means you and I. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. If you want peace in this world, it's in him. It's nowhere else. Absolutely true. In this world, look, you'll have happiness, joy, lottery winnings. No, that's in no. In this world, you will have trouble. I think a lot of people in the room can agree with that word. You'll have trouble. But look, in that trouble, take heart, I've overcome the world. We win in the end, because we're in him. That one really blessed you. Let's have a look at another one. Okay. To this you were called, and I could have put a dozen up. This is what your calling is. To this you've been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Isn't this very edifying and building up and enhancing your Sunday afternoon? He came, he demonstrated what it was to be like. Does anyone know what the word Christian means? Christ-like. You know, we wear the badge, don't we? We can put the fish on the back of the car or whatever. Actually, if you want to be Christ-like, you'll suffer. It comes with a name. 
There is no other. Now I've made you all happy and enthusiastic. We shall now sing the next few songs. And be happy and joyful and praising our Lord. Won't we? <laughs>